Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is um, Gigabit Nation. I'm your host, Craig Fettles. And uh, today I want to talk about something that probably aren't uh, a lot of people aren't aware of, which is on everybody's phone bill, there is a charge. Uh, and that charge, which is, I don't know, anywhere from a 10, 12 bucks uh, a month goes into a fund and that fund is used to fund broadband. And so um, there's a lot of money that is in that fund. However, it mostly goes to rural, which is, you know, okay, because there are, um, you know, a lot of hardships getting broadband out to the, uh, uh, the rural areas. However, there's also a need in the um, urban areas as well for broadband. Uh, there are you know, millions of people that are not getting service, and so there is a need for a parity of some sort with, the, um, uh, you know, with this and other uh, broadband funds that are funded by the government. So with us today is Angela Seifer, who is the executive director of the National Digital uh, Inclusion Alliance, NDIA, and she's going to talk a little bit about this um, need for parity. Angela, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Craig. Hey, no problem. So let's get right into it. How do we get into a situation where basically every year there's probably, you know, billions of dollars, like 20, 15, uh, you know, billions of dollars uh, that goes into broadband, but almost always, except for money that goes to the schools, uh, the uh, money goes to the rural areas, which is fine. Like I said, there is a need, but but how do we actually get to a point where it's so um, disproportional, I guess? There's an assumption that if we have a broadband available everywhere, then the, then the digital divide has been bridged. And that is not a correct assumption. And we know that's not correct because there are already areas of our country that have high percentages, like 30, 40% of residents where broadband is available, but they don't subscribe. So that's a, that's a huge problem in the U.S., and what NDIA is suggesting is that we need to address that problem also right? compared to what we've been now, doing, which is only focusing on rural. Right. Um, so, and I look at uh, some of the bills that are floating through um, the, the U.S. Senate and also the House, and there's a huge amount of dollars being uh, proposed yet a lot of these also have a, um, a, a, a preponderance going into uh, rural areas. Um, 
what's going to be the end result if we go forward with this continued um, disparity? If we continue to invest only in broadband deployment, where we don't have broadband, which is currently how it works, and we don't address all the folks where broadband exists, but they don't subscribe, it means that we are actually widening the digital divide. So there are more and more folks who will continue to have, or will don't, don't have access. More folks will you know, come along and also don't have access. It's an issue of being able to participate in society today. So I think it's, it's important for us to, to step back and say, what is it that we want? Do we want it to be available and whether they subscribe or not is up to them? Or do we want folks to be able to do whatever it is they need to do to be successful, whether that's work, education, health, all of the reasons to use the Internet? I would say it's the latter. And I, would, I definitely agree. I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, that my whole, I guess, professional uh, work uh, in broadband has all been about getting as many people um, connected as possible. But, you know, what we have is, uh, uh, you know, this is disparity um, in that uh, the urban areas are not getting uh, the, this kind of uh, uh, support. What will it take to get there? <laughs> you know, what, 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 I mean, how do we get the, um, the the various agencies, the FCC, the um, uh, the ag department, and so forth. How do we get them to put more money into urban areas? Because your your report talked about um, you know there's about what four million uh, rural folks that, that don't have broadband, but you have uh, three times as many. You know almost almost um, 12 million people, that's a huge amount of people that are not being supported by a fund that everyone pays into, both the, the, the phone bill, you, everybody has a phone, pays in, and then you also have your taxes. So how do, how do we address that issue? Right. So it's, it's actually 14 million U.S. households. So it's even more people, right, because they were counting households. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so that's 14 million urban households, 4 million rural households that don't have broadband subscriptions, and that includes a mobile phone. There's an assumption that everyone has a mobile phone, which they don't, or if they mm-hmm. do, it has a data plan. That's really insufficient. The paper that you referenced is what NDIA came out with last Friday, in which we look at all the numbers and explain that that r- investment in rural Uh, broadband deployment, which we agree is absolutely necessary, is really helping mostly white households. And so our urban areas, particularly those with a lot of uh, high populations of black and other peoples of color, that they are not receiving any support. And so this is where we're saying in order to make change, we need to address the, the underlying structural racism that is in this situation that we have And it helps, I think we did it because it helps draw attention to the issue and help folks understand just who's being harmed. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I, in the last couple of years, have been very focused on the telehealth side of it. 
and I think that um, you know people need to understand that unlike many of the other uh, types of applications, right, which you need broadband in some way, form, or fashion, right, but telehealth is pretty much either you have broadband or you don't have telehealth, but you don't really have much other way uh, to, to, to make this whole thing work. I mean, what's, what's going to be the impact um, in urban areas if they can't get uh, access to telehealth? NDIA has a uh, fellow uh, who has a lot of experience in the health field, and she has explained to us that the health field overall doesn't understand that large numbers of people do not have broadband at home or a device or digital literacy understanding. And so there's an assumption within the health field that if they build the telehealth applications and they set it up so that people can use it, that they simply will. And there's that assumption, again, that we discussed earlier, they're not using it because they're in a rural area where the infrastructure doesn't exist. But that's not accurate at all. A lot of the folks who aren't using those telehealth apps, which are awesome, right? They save us all money. They save us time. They keep us from getting the virus from going, you know, out of our homes. But mm-hmm. it's, our, it's our most vulnerable community members, our low income, our disabled, our seniors, who can't use those telehealth apps because they don't have broadband at home or they don't have a device that will work with the application or they don't know how to use it. So we have to help them if we want telehealth to be something that is really useful moving forward. I do want to come back to the uh, these areas besides just the infra- infrastructure that makes up the issue of uh, is, uh, digital inclusion. But one thing, uh, an observation I have looking at um, just the last three months, right? There, there has been uh, all this rush to uh, put money into telehealth. But it seems if I look at the, you know, where these dollars are going, it seems like the money is being spent with hospitals and rural hospitals in particular, right? But um, it seems that the problem will be, um, which as you, you know, alluded to, um, if I build even more broadband for the uh, hospitals and their clinics, right? That's good, but that doesn't address the home. I mean, is that, uh, you know, is my assumption correct that we're basically putting lots of money into hospitals, but we're not addressing the home issue? You're, you're exactly right. We're only covering one side of the problem. So that's good. We do need to cover that side of the problem, but we have to make sure we make sure that the folks on the other side, the actual patients, have what they need to use it. And right now, there's lots who do not. Right, and that becomes uh, problematic. I mean, I obviously I've been in the you know researching and talking to people in the telehealth world and making the case of um, you know why you need broadband. And then people, I think, understand it to a point. But I'm wondering if, um, you know, what's going to get us in trouble is we will load up hospitals with great technology, but 
um, either the, or neither them or the agencies like the um, the FCC will address the urban um, uh, issue. I worry in particular about seniors and those who are um, have immune deficiency issues that if we don't solve it for them, it's a life and death issue. I've, I've never prior to COVID never described my work as life and death. I do now because it is. So it definitely, um, it requires some attention. Now, um, how do we, you know, as, uh, as professionals, as just regular consumers, how do we impact that? Because it seems like there's two issues, right? There are uh, the agencies, and they have huge amounts of dollars. Um, and they spend it on a, on a you know an annual basis, right? But the, we also have um, like everybody and their mother. It seems like in in Congress, trying to push more money for either broadband or telehealth. Um, uh, you know, in general, and uh, exactly and for a um, uh, situation I just ran into a couple of days ago, um, in, in addition to all of the other money that has been written about that's being proposed, um, there's a couple of senators uh, created a proposal or legislation for another $50 million just for telehealth. And that's on top of other other uh, what is it other uh, senators uh, that are putting or proposing two billion dollars um, to to go into uh, um, telehealth. So it seems like on the high end, the low end, everybody and whom other is trying to make money available. But then, how do we intercept the thinking process? to get them to understand that these dollars need to go um, in, in, into, rural, uh, into urban areas. So I'm going to raise you a few more billion because, <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> because um, there was a bill that just came out yesterday in the uh, House that has $80 billion for uh, deployment of broadband, uh, mostly in rural areas, but it has – um, some language that means that there's some underserved areas in urban or suburban, they might get some support. Um, but then it also has money for a broadband subsidy direct, direct to the providers, but for consumers. So it is for unconnected households. In the U.S. right now, we have a communication subsidy that is paid for through universal service, as you mentioned earlier, that's called Lifeline. It's mostly a phone subsidy. It does officially include broadband. Uh, there aren't a lot of broadband wireline offers available, and it's not really used by households for that who are eligible because they still need a phone service. So what this bill does is set up what they're calling a broadband benefit. So uh, eligible households, which are mostly uh, households that are on SNAP or uh, living in a HUD facility, veterans, et cetera, would receive uh, $50 for the most part, 75 in tribal areas, toward their home broadband bill. 
And that's a huge step forward. It also has money for digital literacy training and for states to create digital equity plans. Because right now, and we're seeing it more than ever during COVID, everybody's scrambling. Local folks are scrambling, states are scrambling. Like, how do we address this? And those who had already been talking about it ahead of time, they're, they've been more ready. That has been really evident to me. Mm-hmm. Well, that's definitely a, uh, a plus. And I think that um, uh, there needs to also be uh, a um, push um, to those decision makers in, in Congress. Uh, for example, the, um, uh, the telehealth uh, industry. There are a number of associations that are either um, telehealth related or healthcare related that have written a letter to um, uh, to Congress, basically encouraging them to um, uh, you know stay the course, uh, continue to roll back uh, harmful uh, regulations for telehealth. Right, the things like parity and 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 various other issues, um, but it seems like doing something like that, but maybe more directed to uh, the individuals in Congress, both the House and the Senate, that are authoring these various um, bills to say, you know, we as a industry, we as a, you know broadband industry, we as just consumers. Uh, we need you, the, the you know, the, the Congress, you know, you individual folks that are that are you know making money available here, um, to really look at the um, you know the urban areas and their particular issues and shortcomings, but also their sheer numbers. I mean, you know, there, there, there's a huge right. number of folks that are not, um, you know. They, in the game, um, I don't know if you guys have done any kinds of, uh, you know, letter writing campaigns, but I mean, does it make sense to do something like that, you know, with a, a group of folks on both the broadband and the uh, telehealth and healthcare side to um, the target uh, to write to to follow up? to make sure that this issue is uh, paid attention to? So, no, we don't have a letter writing campaign right now. Um, AT&T recently came out with a blog post that states the uh, enormous problem that is broadband adoption and that it needs to be addressed. So I thought that was a really positive step to see them do that. We do need Mm -hmm. more... We do need more uh, institutions and, and organizations, companies, everyone, those who are impacted by our community members that aren't online to state how important it is that we help them get online. I think that's the piece that's really missing. So to have mm-hmm. the health industry, you know, and representatives within the health industry to come together and say jointly, it's really important for our clients, to our patients, to have Internet at home, to have a device that can, where they can do the telehealth um, and where they can use the other tools that we want them to use um, and the right. skills to do all that. 
that we really can't be successful with telehealth and telemedicine until everybody has that available to them. It would be really, really powerful if that were to happen. Now, one of the things also that I have noticed um, is that, uh, and maybe it's more in the broadband stimulus program, but um, the issue of um, digital literacy. And I think that, uh, especially like when we look at these funding programs and so forth, there's a lot of emphasis put on the infrastructure, the uh, the, yes. the fiber, right. the wireless connections, and so forth, right. right? And they want to, you know, once we get that done, say we have done our good deed for the for the year or what have yep. you. Yep. Um, what's the impact of not taking um, care of the digital literacy, but also what is you know, what does um, addressing digital literacy often benefit or how does it benefit um, the telehealth um, community? It is so essential. I mean, I guess I encourage listeners to think about if someone handed you anything, a box, right? There's something in the box. You open it up and you have no idea what it is what are you going to do, right? Are you like, well, they tell me that this box is going to help me be able to um, talk to my Hmm. doctor and have better health, but I don't know what to do with this box. So I'm just going to set it in the corner over here and I'm going to go back to whatever it is I was doing. You're not going to continue to figure out the box because it looks so confusing to you. It's the same thing with device and broadband. If If we only make sure folks have internet at home, and that they have the device, but we don't address the digital literacy, we haven't made any gains. And I think the, one of the reasons that the digital literacy doesn't get addressed the way that the, the broadband and the devices do is because it's a little less tangible. You can't put your hands around it in the same kind of way. Like it's a lot easier to, mm-hmm. to, to think about, okay, this person's household doesn't have broadband. We get the hookup. We figure out how to pay for it. Boom, it's done. But digital literacy is never done. How many of us are really done learning digital skills? None of us, right? We are all constantly learning new things, all of us. So with someone who is um, uncertain about technology, maybe even a little scared, it's going to take a while to get them to that comfort level where they can continue to teach and know who to turn to for help. So as a society, we need to, to decide this is important enough. Technology is not going away. It's going to keep changing, and we have to make sure the systems are in place that everyone has the support that they need. Right. Uh, I, you know, definitely with that, I agree with that. And I think that, um, you know, what I have seen, and then just in people's comments and stuff, um, they don't. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's it's a, an issue on both the broadband and the telehealth side, which is people say, okay, um, we're going to sell this, this service or we're going to sell this uh, device. And it's great because all you need is a laptop and we're good to go without understanding right. that the laptop, number one, it may be old. 
It may be, um, you know, not geared for this type of application. Um, what do you do? And then so subsequently, I think that's where the, you know, the, the value of the digital literacy part um, needs to be uh, emphasized. You just can't, ex- uh, you can't assume that one, that they have all the technology that they need. You know, especially older folks, uh, people who um, aren't as uh, um, uh, fluent, so they may not have the latest device. They may have a device that's, you know, eight years old, for crying out loud. Right, right, exactly. Yet, yes. You know, uh, and so I think there needs to be an effort on the part of manufacturers, meaning the manufacturers of broadband, uh, you know, uh, infrastructure and the, um, you know, the manufacturers and providers of, of telehealth that somewhere um, you as a, uh, you know, a provider of this tool, of this service, you have to have uh, some investment in the digital literacy of your um, uh, uh, user base, and I think, I think that you know the, the, question, the, the, the question is so, sorry. The, the question, what you're, I think, what you're getting is to whose responsibility is it? Ah, yes, whose responsibility exactly. is it exactly. that they have that 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 the that the customers have the the connectivity, the device, and the digital skills? Is it the responsibility of the health system? Is it the responsibility of the government? I would say all right. Because ultimately, um, if you cannot get that person, that patient, over the hurdles, over the digital hurdles, then uh, either you're not going to have, um, well, number one, you're going to have your patients not be around if, if you can't get them to use the technology that you're selling them. Right, but also, um, you know, the impact that you want to have, right? Because one of the things I found with talking to people in the telehealth world is that a lot of our doctors, a lot of our healthcare professionals, they have a uh, a vested interest in the well-being, the health well-being of, you know, the market, if you will, the the, right, the, the right. consumers, and so they have the heart in the right place. Um, But I think that we just need to push it one step further and say, you know, think about your, you know, your grandmother or your, your aunt or someone, um, you know, or someone who has never had um, exposure to technology. I mean, a lot of um, uh, lower income folks, just don't have that kind of exposure. And so you've got to think about, um, yes, I've sold this and it'll be good if people use it, but, but you've got to have some sort of insurance that people will be able to use it, I think, you know. It's, yeah, um, I think that you're, yeah. Exactly, you're exactly right. And it's, it's a comfort level with the technology and so I think one of the things we need is we need those health systems 
to to set up those those pilot projects, those um, systems where they are partnering with digital literacy organizations because it's an, it's another social determinant of health. In fact, I yes, um, exactly. there was someone from the FCC who defined it as a super social determinant of health, the connectivity, mm-hmm. because the connectivity impacts everything else. Oh, you don't have secure housing? Well, that's because the housing authority put all of their applications online, and you got screwed because you couldn't get access to Internet the day that the applications went online. Right? Mm-hmm. So like, it, it connects to all the other determinants of health. Right, exactly. And um, it's a, uh, I, I, I would say that um, there needs to be an educational effort uh, on, on somebody's part, I guess the government's part, I'm not sure. I mean, what have you found out to be uh, successful types of organizations that um, push that uh, torch, that, that digital torch out there uh, and ensure that people actually maximize their benefit from the, the technology? I mean, I don't know if there's an organization that you found particularly uh, useful, helpful, um, you know, is it going to be something just in every small or large city? I mean, how, how do you sort of identify who's going to be that um, group that's going to ensure digital literacy? Right. So those organizations are NDIA's affiliates. Uh, NDIA is a 501c3 nonprofit. We are national. We represent digital inclusion programs around the country and those who are advocating for access to the Internet and use of it. Tend to be community-based organizations, libraries, housing authorities, and local governments. There are others, but those are the biggest categories. And what they generally do is help folks sign up for a low-cost broadband offer. Some have created their own mesh networks mm-hmm. because they were so frustrated with the lack of affordable options. They help folks find access to a free or cheap device, and they help folks with the digital literacy skills building. And at the same time, there's also that tech support side. There is how to, what is the ongoing support for this person? And we, what, because this has been very grassroots from the ground, we don't know of everybody that's doing it. So on our website at digitalinclusion.org, there is um, an affiliates map. And you can see the organizations that we do know that are doing this around the country. But I am certain there are a whole bunch more that are also doing it, particularly now. There are organizations who mm-hmm. never thought their job was digital inclusion, and then COVID hit, and they're like, oh, my gosh, we have to get our clients and the people we serve access to the Internet. So the, mm-hmm. um, the growth and awareness of the issue, while that's happening, there are real folks solving these problems in local communities all over. Right, okay, that, that makes sense. Now, one of the things I found um, interesting and I think very effective in the, uh, the broadband uh, stimulus um, era, if you will, um, were programs that took um, high school students, young folks, um, gave them a uh, device, a computer, a laptop, what have you, and said, look, we'll give you uh, the service and we'll give you the laptop if you will do some X number of hours of training, you know, seniors or people who aren't as technically savvy, 
you know, um, have those folks go through a program that that's, you know, very in modest uh, uh, terms, say, you know, let's, let's work together as a community where I have, you know, the youth teaching everybody else how to use the, the the technology. Now, I don't know if there's a, a similar type of application or, or uh, service that people in the telehealth world have thought about, but one, do you think that this approach, um, you know, getting the, you know, the, the young folks in, um, involved, helping uh, the rest of their community, you know, is this a good idea? And do you think yeah, this might be, you know, use, useful in the telehealth space. So that is one strategy. There are quite a few of them. The most common, that's I think, that's the most common that's out there is uh, that doesn't connectivity. Uh, if there's a source of funding for that, um, then they those households go through a digital literacy training. And then once they're through the train and they take the device home, that doesn't work during the COVID era, right? It doesn't even, the oh, scenario right, right, you described right. also doesn't work during COVID era um, mm-hmm. because it has to be more phone remote uh, support. There's also, I think, a concern that if a, if a child doesn't have a computer, that they have to earn that computer because their parents couldn't afford to pay for it. Like that kind of, Mm. it feels a little off to me, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Yes, we want kids to know to give back, but to force them to give back because their parents couldn't afford this tool that is essential to their education. I think we might be heading in the wrong direction with that. So what what would be, so you would say that the whole idea doesn't, I think all students need a all students need a device. Like okay. you, you can a student cannot right now. It is absolutely impossible. It was this spring, and this will be true in the fall, since we know school is going to be partially, if not all, remote in the fall. Mm-hmm. Cannot learn without a device and internet connection. So we can't attach requirements to that, we just need to make sure everybody has a device and internet. And we can't do that as if those students lived in a vacuum because we know Mm -hmm. that parental support of education is essential. It really impacts, the research shows, it impacts the students' uh, success rate, how engaged their parents are. So if the parent is offline, we need to make sure the parent also has a means of interacting with the, the, um, the school itself through digital means, and being able to look up whatever they need to look up to support their child's education. So this okay. really brings uh, yeah. up that, the ex- and this is expensive. I completely know what I'm saying is expensive, right, <laughs> um, <laughs> that we have to solve it for everybody. And, and when we're addressing right. the school kids and their families, then we haven't even talked about all the people who need it for health, right? So really mm-hmm. what we're talking about is everybody. And that makes some folks really uncomfortable because the dollar sign attached to that is pretty high. But on the flip side, what do you save as a result? Uh, What misery do you save as a result? Um, You know, I think some of the 
is a you know you need to or the you know different groups need to understand the uh how well you articulate the trade offs right the the cost versus reward right. that's exactly factor. right craig yes that's you're think, exactly you're exactly on it right cuz i think that in um in some respects right uh, i've always taken this approach that um everybody at some point get sick or has to take care of someone who is sick, right? And so basically everybody has um, a need uh, for telehealth. And so because of its impact, because of its ability to, um, you know, save travel time, um, to way, uh, to, to, you know, better get, um, you know, treatments, uh, how to be- better uh, take care of, chronically ill folks that there are enough benefits half of them are tangible half of them are you know uh are are the warm and fuzzies but um it it seems like if you're going to be a responsible society you know we're at this point where you know everyone needs to have a um you know, a laptop, some sort of computing device, right? I think that um, smartphones are okay, but I think for the bulk of um, education, you know, we're using, you know, very complex types of uh, videos and and interactive uh, technology and so forth. Um, You're looking at uh, um, artificial intelligence on the healthcare side, I mean, there's some pretty slick stuff going on that that will help every aspect of the continuum of care, right? That you just have to say at a certain point, I think, um, that you have to do an aggressive needs analysis and cost uh, analysis or cost and reward analysis, and then you have to you know, bite the bullet and that there are, yeah, you're right. There, there are people who are going to not go happy in that, to, into that valley. So, but this is, but know. I think, I think your point though, Craig, is that we need to know what that cost value is. And I don't think we have this data. Uh, yes. So mm-hmm. I mean, actually, I think somebody has this data, but they just haven't shared it with us. Certainly somebody has looked into this, right? <laughs> like a health system. I can't imagine no health systems have looked into this. Is the question is, or will any of them move on it? What, how much right. money does it cost a health system for that patient to go in versus that patient staying at home and do it and doing the telehealth? I'm sure they've done that. Here's my, here's the next question though. Would it be worth it to them to put a portion of what they saved towards paying for the home connection, maybe a device if the person doesn't have one, and paying for that ongoing tech support? I think that's the question that needs to be answered, and it's really only a health system that can dive in, give it a try, and tell us what the answers are. Right. In fact, one of my earlier um, interviews with some folks in the in the telehealth space, um, a person piped up and said, "Well, um, you know, for for what the insurance companies save, you know." Uh, a a 
$50, you know, some sort of subsidy for offsetting the broadband costs would make all the sense in the world. I mean, a accountant probably, you know, had a you know, collective conniption. But um, so, I, so I think there is an understanding, I think, even within, uh, you know, the, the, the telehealth world that, um, you know, the, the, the insurance companies, the, you know, the health systems, they stand to benefit a whole lot if they will just suck up the initial cost. <laughs> you know, easier said than done, of course, but you know, I think that's where I think that's where we, we need to have those kinds of discussions is, is what we're coming to. Um, right. I and I and I think it's it's more than the discussions, Craig. I think it's time for the action. It's time for for those those solutions to be put into play like now, right? I, I am been, I've been totally amazed at all of the folks who have, were not involved in anything related to digital inclusion who now find themselves in a situation where they need to figure it out. And I think this is true mm-hmm. also of health systems and the challenge is always Who's the right person within the health system? Whose job is it? Because right now it's not really anybody's job. Whose job is it to make sure that telehealth is working? I I don't know. Um, But if we can have conversations with those folks and get those projects set up, that is projects is even the right word. Because what's happening across the U.S. right now with school with with distance learning is that schools are just they're just doing it. They are figuring out how to pay for internet in the home. They are getting devices into, into the kids' homes. One of the most amazing stories I read was Washington, D.C., when the school system went remote. They went into the buildings, got all the computers and all the labs, you know, anything that had been used before in the, that were in the buildings, so the buildings were closed. They put those computers in students' homes because it's what really? they had. Wow. <laughs> Well, that's true. What, <laughs> and and it was it was important also that they realized they may not get the computers back, but they had to solve it immediately. And I think that's what we're not seeing a comparative situation in the health field, where they're like, "Oh my gosh, we can't do telehealth if our patients don't have internet and a device and some tech support." I'm not seeing it, and I think we should be seeing it. We should be seeing them go, "Oh my gosh." Because I really think they just don't know that that's the situation. I will agree. You know, of all the people I talked to, um, you know, the last two years, um, there's been a lot of that. You know, the, the, the assumption that, you know, the incumbents will take care of it. Well, that's not going to happen. Um you know, right. it's not the same as, you know, uh, con- computing and the Internet access in the rural areas versus um, the urban areas. Right? They have different dynamics at work. And so, but the, there needs to be that, that, um, that research, you know. I mean, I, I, and I also find that, um, you know, as I talk to people, that you know, we talk about, or you're talking about the, um, you know, whose responsibility, right? And so as I look at, you know, the things that, that telehealth can do, 
right? Um, I'm often, you know, stumped with the whole question of who do I sell to? <laughs> yeah, who do I, you know, because yeah. who wants that responsibility? You know, who has the responsibility for planning or just the understanding of what the telehealth can do? Because, I mean, three months ago, uh, you know, what was it, maybe 10% of the um, health care uh, consuming uh, public that had even tried telehealth. So now we're basically saying um, telehealth is it. We're going to put all this money into it. But, um, you know, the, the sort of this, in, this infrastructure, this whole thing of who's going to do something, um, and maybe, maybe you know, the, the point will be uh, individual cities and, and counties and so forth will have to take that um, plunge. And, and, and you can't be, you know, tentative about stuff. You just got to do something. If it doesn't work, well, you know, it will suck, but you, you just have to kind of get past it. I think it. that's, yeah. That's our situation right now. We have to do something. I think you're exactly it right. Be, it will be interesting, yeah. I think, to see. It will be interesting. I think we're seeing a lot of um, local efforts. I know I am talking to lots of folks, you know, in local communities across the country trying to figure this out. But you know who I'm not hearing as part of those discussions for the most part? Health providers which I think doesn't make any sense at all, right, that they should be part of those discussions. It is, is for the most part, schools, libraries, cities. So So we have to, those who are in the health field and want to be in this, we see individual people. That's what I see. I see researchers mm-hmm. um, like our fellow Amy Schoen is at Case Western. We have folks from Ohio State University, right? We have individuals who totally get it. But do we have the institution getting it? Mm, there I'm not so sure. And that will be, uh, yeah, that's very telling. I hadn't even really thought about it. Um, I think that uh, if I look at, you know the articles that are that are being written about um you know all these all these dollars that are being sent to um you know healthcare providers um i'm not sensing a plan as much as people are saying oh the government's making money available so we should get it because we you know have needs and we need more uh, broadband and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not sure, you know, if there's um, strategic forward thinking and because, you know, on on the broadband side that, that, um, you know, we we have all these, these consultants and we have, you know, people that are expert on, um, feasibility studies and all of that, right? There is a process of planning that the broadband world has been doing for the last decade, probably, you know, more than that, right? And so a lot of people have a routine, their best practices and all of that. I think we're, what we're needing 
um, you know, I'm sort of stating the obvious and so forth, but um, someone's got to figure out um, a, a, a pivot point that's going to be responsible for pulling the people together to do the, do it, do the strategic planning. And I think uh, we're, we're, that already will seeing, be... we're already seeing that in communities. The part that I think I'm drawing attention to is that those local collaborations and um, coalitions that have any sometimes are simply a short task force to, to deal with the students not having access. It is they're only solving for the education problem with the distance learning. They're not solving the telehealth issue. And so that needs to be addressed by those, some of those same community institutions and the health providers. So mm -hmm. I would encourage those who are in the health field to reach out to the local government, the library, the school system, uh, local foundations have turned out to be leaders. Uh, find out what are the efforts going on right now to increase connectivity in our city. Who's working on mm -hmm. bringing in devices? Who's working on tech support? They might find some folks who already started working on it. Maybe some folks have been working on it for two decades, right? Mm -hmm. But when they find those folks, they find partners. So this is not something that gets laid at one entity's feet. It's something that we all need to work on together. And some places are doing that. And it is super impressive. And so I think there's that aspect, and then there's also the aspect of looking at their bottom line. Right. Would it actually Makes help sense. them? if the clients had connectivity. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to, I think it's time to, to wrap this thing up. Um, there's one, I guess, last question on my side, um, which is can the libraries be somehow made uh, a part of the move for telehealth and that this will be post COVID, right? Right now, you know, no one's getting together at libraries and stuff. But um, because many libraries are centrally located, they are they they are recognized as a, you know a knowledge place where you go to get you know knowledge about a whole bunch of stuff. Right? Would it make sense to engage uh, libraries in what we'll call a post-COVID? Um, telehealth or healthcare strategy plan? I think telehealth in a public place is the like the last plan. It, and it should not be anyone's first plan. Who wants to talk to their doctor right. in a public location, right? No. Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> That's true. Right. Um, but, and even but, all of the Internet of Things that takes our blood sugar and sends that to the, to the doctor and takes our um, oxygen levels and sends that over, like, all of that has to take place at home. So libraries, I think, are essential in terms of health education and the digital literacy classes that they, have, they provide, not... We can't continue to rely upon them for connectivity and devices for our community members that don't have them because it's, it's a very much a solution that ensures that we are not fully meeting people's needs, particularly if we're talking about patients. 
Does yeah, that make sense? you're right. Okay. Yep. Yep. Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. Well, great. I want to thank you for uh, taking the time uh, to talk about this. Um, hopefully, um, especially people on the, the, the telehealth side, you know, have gotten a better idea of the um, the digital literacy and the digital um, uh, um, challenges that underlie the the success of telehealth um, that they may not have thought about before. And then, so I think that's very good, um, you know, for uh, for the audience and stuff. So. I appreciate very much uh, your time and your insights and, um, you know, uh, much luck as we move forward and get through this whole COVID craziness and move on for better digital times. Thanks for having me, Craig. It's a great conversation. No worries. No worries. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And I will see you folks soon. Take care. Bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.